0: Lord Lord Christ, in your time, in your way, you make all things beautiful. That is what we thank you for this morning. We thank you that even in the middle of this story, when things don't seem very beautiful, you're working for the good of Joseph and for the good of all of us today, who are heirs to the promise that he continued forward with. And so, Lord, we thank you uh, for your presence. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the ways that you sustain us as we struggle too. Uh, and we ask that this morning you would open our ears to hear this story anew, uh, to be transformed by your presence. We love you and praise you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I experienced a trial by fire when I joined the 2010 Atlanta Corps of Teach for America. In April of that year, I had turned 21. And by September, I was teaching 18-year-olds in one of the lowest performing schools in one of the worst districts of a state that regularly is ranked in the top 30s, low 40s in educational attainment. That's out of 50, (laughs) y'all. Uh, I was in English as a second language teacher. I was teaching specifically the content areas of social studies and language arts. And my average 10th grader read in English on a second grade level. Um, They had not heard of Abraham Lincoln, much less terms like secession or abolition. Now, most teachers uh, study education for a period of about four years, uh, and at the end of that, they have several months where they're working full-time as student teachers. Uh, They're working under an experienced teacher, learning, uh, training, practicing. Um, But Teach for America, uh, for some reason, thinks it's a good idea (laughs) to train us for six weeks. Um, So that summer, I went uh, to the campus of Georgia Tech, and over six weeks, I studied pedagogy, uh, the theory of how to teach Right? And that was for half the day. The other half of the day, I was actually teaching third graders who had been held back uh, and needed to um, get more practice to be able to move forward. Um, add to that the fact that Teach for America's Atlanta core had never supported ESOL teachers or ESL teachers. And uh, the mentor teacher that I had uh, previously was a, an early education uh, teacher, <laughs> Um, so I was teaching high school, uh, coached by someone who taught second grade. All, all this to say I was woefully underprepared and under-resourced to make the kind of positive impact that I wanted to uh, on my students' achievement. And for that reason, I experienced more anxiety in my first year as a teacher than I ever had before and I ever have since. And yet it was in this environment that God helped me to bloom and to develop the calling that he had put on my life. Through many tearful prayers at lunch, uh, as I I felt like an imposter in teacher's clothing, God sustained me. And over time, he helped me to become a great teacher. But even more important than that, God helped me to become a pastor. You see, the the majority of my students uh, came, were taken out of their, their home countries, brought here, had the task of learning a new language and a new culture all while enduring puberty. To say that uh, they had experienced trauma is to put it lightly. And in that environment, God gave me opportunities to disciple, to love, to encourage, to coach, and to care for these students. That's how he made me a pastor. From that experience, I became convinced of this truth, a truth that I read in Ian Dougwood's commentary on Joseph. Joseph. It says, when we explore what God is up to in our lives, we discover that his good plan is not a plan for our ease or our comfort. Rather, it's a plan for our death and resurrection, dying to sin, to our old self, and rising to a whole new life in him. In today's passage, we see God using three things principally to help Joseph die to self, that he might be an instrument of God's salvation for the whole world. Training, temptation, and tribulation. Uh, That alliteration was for Matt, by the way. I don't know if you heard the whistle, but yeah. Um, (laughs) If you haven't already, turn with me to Genesis 39. Uh, It's on page 33 in the Blue Bibles. After being pulled out of that cistern, and sold by his brothers into slavery, Joseph is taken to Egypt. When he gets there, he's purchased by Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's household guard. In just this first verse alone, we see God's favor on Joseph's life. Now we have to remember, hindsight is twenty twenty. I, I doubt very much that it was of much comfort to Joseph to know that he was being put in an opportune position. Uh, to make an impact in Egypt. And so too, it's hard for us, as we face trials and tribulations, it's hard for us to see God's favor and God's mercy on our lives when we're in the moment. But as we look back, we can see God's hand in all of those things. Over the next four verses, there's a pattern. We see that the Lord's presence is with Joseph. And because the Lord's presence is with him, Joseph succeeds, No matter how menial the task, no matter how insignificant it may appear, God prospers Joseph, and as a result, Joseph is promoted. There's no doubt that Joseph's a hard worker. Don't hear me saying he's not. I'm sure he worked double shifts. I'm sure it was not uh, that Egyptian didn't come naturally to him, the language and the culture and all of the things that he had to learn in order to be successful. And I'm also certain that anytime there was a vacuum in leadership, any time there wasn't somebody to step up, Joseph was the first person up to the plate. But Genesis doesn't let us miss the true source of his success. Seven times, guys, seven times in chapter 39, there's a direct link between God's presence and Joseph's abilities uh, to succeed. Listen how the message translation puts it. As it turned out, God was with Joseph, and things went really well for him. He ended up living in the home of his Egyptian master. His master recognized that God was with him, saw that God was working for good in everything he did. He became very fond of Joseph and made him his personal aide, He put him in charge of all his personal affairs, turning everything over to him. And from that moment on, God blessed the home of the Egyptian, all because of Joseph. The blessing of God spread over everything he owned in his home and in his fields. And this is my favorite part. (laughs) All Potiphar had to concern himself with was eating three meals a day. Over an 11-year period, Joseph rises through the ranks in Potiphar's house. He starts out as a no-name slave, picked up from some Ishmaelite traders. Soon he's invited into the home. And as Potiphar sees God's grace on his life, he elevates him to the position of personal aid and estate manager. Joseph is a living example of Jesus' parable on the talents and we can almost hear Jesus' words, we can almost imagine them coming from Potiphar's mouth. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. But what's really cool about this part of the story, y'all, is Potiphar, a man who worships idols, recognizes God's Impact and influence on Joseph's life. He sees God working for Joseph, and he decides he's going to cast his lots with Yahweh's servant by promoting him, and he'll just focus on those three meals. Do we have that kind of effect on our unbelieving teachers, uh, commanding officers, bosses? I think this morning, uh, God is inviting us to pray for that, Next, uh, God brings Joseph through a season of temptation. That's the second T. Note the word season there. It's not an episode of temptation. It's a season of temptation. It happens like this, picking up in the middle of verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, "'Behold, because of me, my master has no concern "'about anything in this house, "'and he has put everything that is in it under my charge. "'He is not greater in this house than I am, "'nor has he kept back anything from me except you, "'because you're his wife. "'How then could I do this great wickedness "'and sin against God?' And as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, her or be with her. You see, Potiphar was not the only one who recognized Joseph's desirable attributes. Uh, and it's interesting, multiple commentaries point to the fact that uh, Joseph's great-grandmother, Sarah, his grandmother Rebecca and his mother, Rachel, had one thing in common. They were all breathtakingly beautiful women. Um, in fact, so beautiful that both Abraham and Isaac were afraid that they would be killed so that other men could take them as wives. <clears throat> Obviously, uh, Joseph inherited uh, some traits from them. <clears throat> He's attractive. He has a nice build. And Potiphar's wife, who's used to getting what she wants comes to him and says, sleep with me. Uh, You notice here, this is not a request. This is not an invitation. This is a command that she is making to a man under her authority. And there are several aspects of this temptation that we could explore this morning. Um, Just two weeks ago, Matt pointed out that there's a pattern of sexual sin in Joseph's family, Um, Clearly, sexual purity and healthy sexual relationships have not been modeled for Joseph by his father or his brothers, particularly Reuben and Judah. Um, We've experienced, or either personally or we've observed, uh, the tendency for people to repeat the mistakes of their families, right? This generational sin that continues uh, to plague people. And so it's remarkable that Joseph, in this case, is able to resist to do what his father and brothers were not able to do under much less pressure. Um, Perhaps the example of the brokenness that his family encountered as a result uh, of that deviance um, served as a counterexample, which helped Joseph uh, to resist this temptation, but there's, a, there's another aspect that really stuck out at me as I processed and prayed through this passage. Um, and I noticed that this is a, an, an attribute of Joseph's temptation, but also that of Adam and Eve uh, and of Jesus. Uh, it's the temptation of uh, entitlement. The temptation Joseph had was not just a sexual temptation, but it was one of being tempted to use his authority to take something that was not his, to use it for self-seeking purposes. Um, Entitlement begins with a a perceived right to have something. Uh, It involves usually a measure of authority, something that Joseph, Adam, and Eve, and Jesus had in spades. All things in Potiphar's house have been placed under uh, under Joseph's authority. And because of this, things have gone well. Um, Adam and Eve, they're put in charge of all of God's creation. Uh, They get to name the animals, and they get to uh, bear the children that will continue in this work um, up until this day. John's gospel tells us that uh, Jesus uh, was present uh, and was active in the creation of everything on earth. And before he leaves, he tells his disciples, all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, in addition to having authority, each of these are under authority, under the authority of God the Father. And the temptation that they face, um, Satan invites them to reach beyond their authority, to do something they're not authorized to do. Potiphar's wife was the one thing in all of his house that was withheld from Joseph. And she throws herself at him. She invites him to usurp Potiphar's authority, and ultimately, uh, first and foremost, to break God's law. Uh, if Joseph wanted to, he certainly could have found a way to spun this, spin this in his favor, right? He could have uh, thought to himself, "Everything that uh, Potiphar has is because of me. I'm the reason that he's prospering, and he even knows that. Maybe this time for me to take a little something for myself." Uh, Besides, Joseph has been wrong. He was betrayed by his brother, thrown into a system of cruel slavery where he was not even allowed to marry. Y'all, he's 27 years old right now. Um, In our society, we treat sexuality and marriage as a right to be demanded rather than a gift to be received from God. If that society was at all similar, we could see the threat of entitlement knocking at his door. Can you hear the voice of the enemy whispering, maybe this is God's gift for you to make up for all the hardship you've endured. When Eve is confronted by this snake, um, he cuts straight to the point. Did God really tell you you can't eat from this tree? And then he directly contradicts God saying, you will not certainly die. God knows that when you eat of it, the fruit of this tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing evil and good. Like Joseph, Adam and Eve had one thing withheld from them. The serpent invites Eve not only to question God's authority but also cast dispersions on God's credibility and God's goodness. He effectively says to her, it's not enough to be made in God's image you should be able to determine what's right and wrong. It's your truth, Eve. After being declared the beloved Son of God, Jesus submits to the Holy Spirit, and he goes into the wilderness to be tested and to fast and to pray. In the wilderness, Satan comes to him and asks this question again and again. Uh, Rather, he questions his identity again and again, saying, if you are the Son of God... And then, what follows are three ways in which Jesus could use his authority for self seeking purposes. He says, You're hungry, aren't you? Turn those rocks into bread. It should be a piece of cake. You're the Son of God, right? He says, You've got a lot of things to teach, right? You're a a good teacher, aren't you? Jump off the highest point of the temple in full view of all the religious leaders. Then you'll get the stage that you deserve. He says, why should the son of man have nowhere to lay his head? Just bow down to me. I'll give you all the nations of the earth and then you can pick which palace you want to sleep in. Isn't that your right? And so this morning, I think our, our invitation is to consider each of their responses, to pray and to ask God for the grace to respond as Jesus did. Um, Eve initially resists the serpent. She says, I can't do that. God told me not to do that. But quickly, she's worn down. Ultimately, Genesis tells us this. When the woman saw that the fruit on the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Eve believes the lies of the tempter, and Adam joins her with apparently no protest at all. They use their authority to take hold of something which is not rightfully theirs. Uh, Joseph makes it clear, however, uh, that he knows the limits to his own authority. Uh, in, in his response to Potiphar's wife, he says, you're off limits, <laughs> How could I do that? And he says something really curious at the end, after kind of going through all the ways in which he would be betraying Potiphar. He doesn't say, how could I wrong Potiphar? He says, how could I sin against God? You see, Joseph, like David, who comes after him, recognized that when we sin, the principal person that we offend is God. The principal relationship that we damage is ours with God. "'Against you and you alone have I sinned,' David will later write. "'Joseph is a better Adam. "'He's seen the destructive nature of sexual sin "'and the way that it has wreaked havoc on his family. "'Moreover, he knows that his success and authority "'have come from God. "'Therefore, they're not his to wield "'for self-serving purposes.' In resisting this temptation, Joseph breaks ties with a generational sin that has plagued his family, and he overcomes a temptation to misuse his authority. These are essential things if he is one day to be the prime minister of Egypt, if he's one day to administer the resources during a serious famine. This character must be developed. Sometimes when I um, consider Joseph's example, uh, when I see the way that he endured the pit, that he endured the training and the temptation and all these other things, um, I feel pretty weak, right? Uh, As the Lord gives me success in ministry, I notice that the temptation comes all the more. And every time I sin, um, like we sang this morning, I'm tempted to despair. I'm tempted to say, why can't I just be like Joseph? He he resisted day after day. It doesn't take me 20 minutes. But although Joseph is the better Adam, Jesus is the perfect Adam and the better Joseph. Um, Jesus' response in the wilderness demonstrates his reliance on God to meet his needs rather than himself. He refuses to test God, but instead trusts that God is faithful he will not, under any circumstances, give glory to anyone other than God, the Father. Uh, Jesus resisted this temptation in the wilderness, but not just in the wilderness. And this is the really good news this morning. Right? In Matthew's gospel, it tells us that as, the, as, as Satan left Jesus, he left him for a more opportune time. Have you ever asked yourself the question, when was that time? Uh, there's this really interesting... Uh, Peace at the end of Matthew's gospel where you see people mocking Jesus. And what are the words that they use to do it? If you are the son of God, save yourself. Come down off that cross. This was a temptation that Jesus faced. All authority under heaven and earth was his. He could have used that authority to come down, but he didn't for two reasons. He trusted his father. He trusted the good and perfect will of his father. And he loved you. Jesus, uh, Doug Wood puts it this way. Um, The Lord was with Joseph, enabling him to be a blessing to the Egyptians in the midst of undeserved pain, betrayal, suffering, and temptation not simply so that he could become an example for us to imitate, but so that he could be an exemplar pointing forward to Jesus. Jesus was the only truly righteous man, the only one who suffered entirely without fault of his own. The purpose of this passage is not to get you and me to ask ourselves in times of temptation, what would Joseph do? Its purpose is to encourage us to ponder what Jesus has already done. Our story ends with one final T. Joseph, at this point, has endured 11 years of training. Uh, He's uh, resisted during a season of temptation, only to face yet another form of tribulation. One day, he finds himself in a no-win situation. For some time, we can assume Joseph tried to make sure that he would never be alone with Potiphar's wife. And one day he's about his business and it turns out there's no one else in the house. Potiphar's wife, uh, seeing the opportune time to tempt him, comes to him and grabs him by the cloak and says, now you must sleep with me. Joseph flees. He does the only thing he can do without damaging his relationship with God, without forfeiting the calling on his life. He flees, he runs out of there, but he leaves his cloak behind. She claims that Joseph uh, has violated her. Potiphar throws him in yet another pit, Pharaoh's prison. And we're left kind of wondering uh, this really difficult uh, question. Um, Most of us grew up hearing that If you work hard and you do the right thing, you will be rewarded. Instead, Joseph is thrown in prison. And yet, there's this incredible detail right at the end. Uh, We're gonna go a little bit further than we read this morning uh, because the, the story ends almost the same way it started. Listen to this. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those who were held in prison. He was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and he gave him success in whatever he did. Once again, God journeys with Joseph into the pit. Once again, God's presence gives him favor. Although this seemed like a setback for Joseph, it was actually another promotion. He was one step closer to Pharaoh's palace. Joseph's life is proof that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Now at 17, Joseph had a a magnificent calling on his life. He received it, and it took 11 years. It took the pit, it took the training, it took the temptation, and it took this second form of tribulation to prepare his character, to get him in the right frame of mind to be able to respond to the call that God had given him. And it also took this to get him in the right place at the right time. Uh, The Bluebonnet Life Group put it this way, He had to get to Egypt somehow, and he does. And God is faithful. As we come to the table, I want us to consider a couple of questions that were part of the devotional um, this week. What gifts, abilities, and resources has God entrusted you to steward for his purposes? How are you doing that well? In what ways might you improve? How has a sense of entitlement or negative example of others tempted you to sin? In what ways can you identify with Joseph's suffering and being falsely accused? Uh, And ultimately, how has God grown or shaped your character through difficult or adverse situations? As I reflected this week on my experience Um, in that training ground of Teach for America. I realized um, there's really one thing that was particularly important about that season of my life. Um, Although that was one of the most stressful seasons and one that I would not readily return to, God's presence sustained me in deeper and more meaningful ways than ever before, At the end of college, I was coming off a time of um, uh, spiritual dryness. And yet, in that season of life, I, uh, I had more experiences of God's presence in worship than ever before. I would cry and cry and cry and be comforted by God's presence. As I look back, I celebrate God's favor. I celebrate the ways that he made me successful. But more than anything... I'm grateful for his presence that sustained me. Wherever you are, whatever you're facing, remember that God's, God is good and his presence and grace can get you through anything. Seek him now as you come to the table. Seek him as you worship and seek him as you go to the back to receive prayer as the community supports and serves one another. Let's pray. Lord Christ, we thank you for the good news that uh, we don't have to be as good as Joseph to earn your favor or your presence. We thank you for the good news that you will sustain us and get us through difficult times. And we thank you for the good news, though it's sometimes hard to accept that your perfect plan for us is for our death and resurrection. Lord, you are good, and uh, we are grateful to be your servants. Uh, We ask that you would give us faith, um, give us strength, give us comfort. Um, Minister to us, we ask in this time, in Jesus' name, amen.